0: If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, Philippians 3 is where we're going to be tonight, and uh, as you can see on the screen, the title is called Jesus is Better, and just to recap this series that we've been living on mission, the first week we looked at Ephesians 5, where we discussed making the most of our time, that the summer's approaching, and you have all this free time on your hands because you're out of school, or just summer provides more opportunities. So we want to make the most of our time. And the second week, we looked at Psalm 19, that we want to see God's glory in this you, in this world. That we want it, the glory of God proclaimed everywhere, and we want that in our life, in our town, in our nation. We want it everywhere. And then last week, we or well not last week, but two weeks ago, David then showed us how. Ephesians 4, we're all equipped. We're all equipped to live on mission. That when we became followers of Jesus, we all were given a gift. A gift to serve our fellow brothers and sisters, to serve this world with what it truly needs in the gospel. And so if you're there in Philippians 3, if you could stand as we uh, give honor to the reading of God's word. And starting in verse 1, it says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You can be seated, and we'll pray for tonight. God, we love you. We're so thankful that we get to come here tonight to worship, to uh, hear you speak tonight, God, and to encourage one another, to build one another up. And uh, we're not the only church here gathered tonight, but all across Springfield, all across this nation, Lord, where your word is being proclaimed and the truth of the gospel. And God, I pray not just for us here tonight, but for us across the world where this gospel this one message that this whole world needs that Jesus came to die and to be risen from the dead to conquer sin to conquer grave the grave and to conquer death that we can have this eternal hope and I pray tonight that the passage we read that we just read that um that we may hear it that we may Our hearts may be fertile soil, and we take this message, and we apply it to our life, and we go, and we live on mission for your glory and your honor, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So, if we're honest, we look around, and we see human achievement everywhere we go. We see people around us that succeed, and they get the praise of man that maybe you tonight have done something whether that was in high school or in college where you played a sport and you won something maybe it was a Iwana grand prix tournament or it was something I don't know maybe you guys never win but that was me but uh, from leading your team to victory to anything you did you got human achievement And from that came human praise. And it's something that you're proud of. Then we see people who keep having success after success, and you see that this human pride comes into play, that they then get all this human applause, and it's like, I've done all these good works. And if we're honest, there's probably people that we know, or we've even have done this ourselves, where... We've done so much good works that then it's, okay, I've done all these good works that I can get myself to heaven. That I have done enough compared to that guy who's worse than me. I've done enough better than him that I can go to heaven. And we get this self-righteousness. We get this thing where we don't need God. And we may not proclaim that with our words, but with our lifestyle, we're proclaiming this, I'm righteous enough. And Paul, who's writing this from prison, is going to remind this church about this. And as we do this series, Living on Mission, this passage reminds us that our righteousness does not come from us, but it's from the work of Christ and the work he did, the faithfulness of Christ. To put this passage in context, since we jumped right in the middle of this, Paul, writing this from prison, we know that at the beginning of this church, he loved this church, that the people he first met from the prisoner to Priscilla and Aquila, that he loved this church. In the reading of the fir- this first chapter, we know that Paul loved this church, and in verse 1 in chapter 3, we see that he's wrapping up the letter, that he's discussed what it looks like to live like Christ. He's discussed how Christ pushes us to be humble because Christ is a picture of humility, And then he discussed that we can be people of the book that hold fast to this word in a dark world. And then verse 1, he's wrapping it up. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice, being a command, not just a suggestion. And if I'm honest tonight with you, when I read that, rejoice in the Lord, that's easier to say than to do. For someone to tell me to have joy when a hard trial is going on when something in life is so devastating and someone tells you have joy to have joy in the lord that's that's hard to do that's hard to to live in this world where so many so much darkness so much evil is all around it's hard to have joy in the lord but it's not a suggestion it's a command it's a, to be a regular practice in life to rejoice in the lord and this joy based on the Lord is on the understanding of the love of Christ. That what Christ came to do on this earth to live the life he lived and to die to be forsaken by God so we would never have to be forsaken by him. Their identity being rooted in him, their connection, everything being about Christ. And he is telling them to have joy because what he's about to talk about it's going to be hard to have joy. To have joy in light of what is about to be discussed. He commands them to have joy, and then there are three more commands in verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the (laughs) evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And it's a warning because he went to prison, and when he went to prison, this church started to have false teachers. They started to have people sprout up in the church that started to teach them all sorts of things. All sorts of doctrines that weren't true. And the one he's fighting right now is Jewish Christians who are telling these Gentile believers there's something more to the gospel. That it's not just faith in Christ. It's not just by grace alone through faith alone. That it's you have to believe in Christ but also get circumcised. And they were teaching this gospel that they believed is not enough. That it's the gospel plus works equals salvation. And this is clearly not what Paul was teaching them, that Paul was teaching faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. Look out for the evildoers, those who do not live out their relationship with Christ. And then he says, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, warning here, we're going to say the word circumcision a lot. And you probably weren't coming to church thinking, I'm going to hear this word multiple times. And I'm trying to get over it right now, so... (laughs) Just get over it. So, all right, word picture here. The Greek word for circumcision is peritome. Say that with me. Peritome. Peritome. Okay. Now this meaning is to cut around. Makes sense, right? Circumcision. But the word for mutilate is katatome. 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 See the word? See how it's similar? peritome, katatome, okay, no one gets it. But anyway, katatome, meaning cut to pieces. And you're going, why is this so important? Why have I mentioned circumcision like 12 times already? Well, verse 3, for we are the circumcision. Now you're thinking, why? Like the guys in here are going, makes sense. And the ladies in here are going, I can't get that. So like, what's, what's the deal? Some of you are looking really awkward right now. And I'm telling you, we got to get over this because we have to address this. So you're looking at me saying, this makes no sense. All right, let's talk about it then. A Bible, a history lesson. Old Testament, God is making a people for himself, the country of Israel. And he's saying, To this country, this people, you're to be distinct. A law, 600 and some laws that they had to keep. All these laws making them distinct from everyone around them. And when they became a Jew, you got circumcised. At least the male did. But you're wondering why I had to clear that up. I'm wondering that too. But. David, it's going to get better, I promise. But anyway, <laughs> like circumcision, this is what they did. This is what the Lord commanded. This is how they were to be distinct. Physical circumcision was used to identify someone as the Jewish nation, and it, it had value for the purpose of ministry. But as you would read the Old Testament, it wasn't just a physical outward thing. That was an inward thing. That The outward thing was to show the change on the inside. To say that in verse 3, for we are the circumcision, Paul's identifying himself with that group because he's relating himself to both Jews and Gentiles. Because he's not talking about a physical circumcision, but a spiritual one. A spiritual one cut around, distinct. And the three characteristics when he says, for we are the circumcision, are Worship by the Spirit of God in Christ Jesus puts no confidence in the flesh. These three characteristics worship, glory, confidence. First thing Paul says is that true believers worship by the Spirit of God. He is contrasting these two ideas between inward worship and outward worship. That your outward worship is because of the inward worship, the outward conformity to the law is because of the inward change that happened. But he's attacking here. The legalism of looking good on the outside, but not looking good on the inside. As we sit here today, through this series, Living on Mission, we want to make the most of the time. We desire God's glory to be made known. We understand that when we became believers, we were a part of the body. We're given gifts to serve the body. We worship inwardly from the heart. Second is glory. Glory in Christ Jesus. Basically another way to say we boast in Christ. We don't boast because of our own self or anything we do or any works we have, but we boast because of Christ. And third, no confidence in the flesh. Because these Jewish Christians wanted these Gentile believers to get circumcised, trusting in human tradition, human initiative to gain spiritual blessing. But when you keep reading this passage, you'll see that Paul is identifying himself with these false teachers, because he was once one of them. That he was once, before Christ, someone who practiced the law faithfully and devoted to it. So my first point tonight is the old set of values. The old set of values before Christ. Verse four, though I myself have have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul, before Christ, dependent on himself, no one else. His self-righteousness, his good works. And he's looking at these Judaizers straight in the face, and he's like, you think you have confidence in the flesh. You think you're good. You think that you do all this stuff great. I have more. I love sports. So let's say you, baseball fans, Anyway, let's do baseball. So baseball fantasy team. You have all these players where you're like, these are the best. And then someone else comes along and says, No, these guys are the best. But then someone else comes and says, No, these are the best. And you're like, oh shoot, you're right. Like, like that's what I needed. You're right. Anyway, the point is you lay out all the evidence why. You give the reasons why these guys are the best. You give the, re- the stats, the hits, strikeouts, like baseball stats. And when Paul is saying, I have confidence in the flesh, in fact, he had so much, he's going to give it all to him and say, you, you decide for yourself. Basically, Paul is about to lay down some smack talk. He's about to put on his best OG gangster face. Judge for yourself. So, verse 5 circumcised on the eighth day. I'm telling you, you're going to keep hearing that word. That, that was the tradition. You're born, eight days later, circumcised. Like, if you came from a Jewish family, practicing uh, Jewish traditions, this is the one. Eight days. Of the people of Israel. Like, he wasn't someone who was a Gentile and had to come into the Jewish tradition. Like, he started off because he was the people of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, This makes it even more because out of the 12 tribes, the tribe of Benjamin. Why is that important? Because this tribe, the first king came from this tribe. This tribe was blessed by Moses. And then when all the tribes turned against King David, the tribe of Benjamin was the one to stay faithful. Your average person who has this much to boast about would have stopped here. But then Paul keeps going, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And this just to force the fact that he was pure Hebrew. If you're a Harry Potter fan, he wasn't a half-blood, wasn't a muggle. He was a pure-blood. Like, he, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. He kept the law, given himself to study the law, devoted to the law, woke up early in the morning, stayed up late at night, memorized it, knew where, like, the character Like, if this was a tweet, he knew where tweet character 75 was. Like, he knew the law. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Paul gave himself to the law, and because he was dedicated to the law, anyone against it or not following it completely, he'd go out and imprison them, kill them. Christians, if you read the first eight chapters of Acts, you see where Paul is imprisoning holding people's coats as they're stoning Stephen, like he was devoted. And as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And this sums it all up, that Paul as a practicing Jew who could boast in other people's eyes all the accomplishments, everything from um, great family heritage, a great social status. um, He had biblical knowledge. He had all the religious activity to say, I'm blameless. Perfect record. Um, I can do this. And those seven characteristics of heredity and achievement reveal that Paul's accepting of Christ did not occur because he was marginally Jewish. He had not failed in his own religion. He was the best Jew possible, the best legalist possible, the best where he was blameless in everything. But he met Christ, and he had seen a better way. And those then became the old set of values. And then we move on to the new set of values. The, verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And we, look, we just looked at Paul, all that gain, all seven characteristics, all the accomplishments, all the stuff he needed to be the guy in this world that everyone looked to the guy everyone thought was blameless he had everything and then acts 9 he encounters christ and none of it matters that christ meets them on the road and he goes paul why are you forsaking me i am christ why are you persecuting me paul doing what he's doing best he is passionately devoted Jew. He's devoted to the law. He's stamping out these Christians who he thinks are against the law, who are against the true God. And he encounters Christ. He becomes blind. He can't rely on just himself. He needs the help of others. God sends a man to open up his eyes. And from that moment on, Paul's old values are gone. All the accomplishments, everything he had, gone. Because he had new values. Because he said earlier in this letter, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And these false teachers were evil. Yet Paul sees how he was related to them because he cherished those old values at one point. And when we're on mission, living for the glory of God, we will run into people that are evil. People that, were, if we play the comparison game, was, yeah, I'm better than them. But really, we're just as evil as them. That we were, at one point before Christ, People before Christ had these values, and we did as well. One guy quoted in a book saying, theology and life go together, and that the antidote to poor living is proper theology. That our theology, what we understand, what we believe, what we have as knowledge, that that will play out in our life. In this life that we want to live on mission, plays out from the theology we come to understand. What we come to believe about God, what we come to believe about the Bible, what we come to believe about prayer and fasting and uh, service and church membership and all sorts of other doctrines, whatever we believe about those things comes out in our life. If we read our Bibles a few times a week, just enough to have an Instagram picture or a tweet that's 240 characters, that, that we think that's enough. or if we're reading consistently and applying what we reading and it's a life pleasing to God but I mean just ask yourself like where am I? When, what, what am I doing? What, what are my values? If the Philippians understood the richness of Paul's life they would not follow the false teachers. That Paul's life at first glance just looks like one no one would want. No one would want what Paul values. Everyone would want what Saul valued, the life before Christ. But verse seven, he counted or in some of your translations considered it lost. He thought hard about his former life, his former values, and he said it was good for him to count it as lost. And you may experience this. You see that you're on social media too much, you see that you've ate way too much ice cream or different foods, and you're like, something's got to change. I need to count ice cream loss. I need to count my Instagram hours loss. You make adjustments. And when you've done all that, and a few months later you look back and you're like, that was good. That was good that I considered ice cream loss, and I lost 40 pounds, and now my cholesterol level is down. I don't know why no one, anyone measures cholesterol level. But anyway at the age of 22 or 23, but um, Paul, who had thought all about this, affirms it good. And then we get to verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. He affirms everything. He looks at that blinding moment on the Damascus Road, and realizes his old values do not compare because Christ is greater. And you, have a, you may have a list of every good thing in your life, a list that any person in this world could say, that's a great list. But when we look at all that compared to Christ, all that is loss. All that doesn't compare. Because on the road, To Damascus, the grace of the Lord Jesus found Paul, the terrorist. And this is personal for Paul. His relationship with God is personal. And when you read verse 8, when he's saying, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, this is the only place in all the Pauline epistles where you see Paul make the statement, Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's personal for him. Christ is everything. And then Paul went on to say that everything is rubbish. The word idea, poop, dung. That all those great things, loss, rubbish, his status, friendships, wealth, position in life, his view of himself, everything for the sake of knowing Christ. He had no regrets about this, that he could count all of that loss because Christ was better. He is better. And Paul, his life was an example for this Philippian church. And it's an example for us tonight. Because we can all ask ourselves is Christ Jesus worth everything to you? That you could look at your whole life and say, it's loss because Christ is better. And, like, this is, I'm preaching to myself more than anything. Because I look at my life and I'm saying, no. That the way my life is playing out right now, Christ is not worth everything. Do we look at Christ to everything else in our life and say Christ is better? Our friends, rubbish. Our family, rubbish. Our status, rubbish. Our knowledge, rubbish. Our job, rubbish. Christ is better. He's better than anything in this world. Anything that we can think of, dream of, any dream that you can possibly have when you go to bed, Christ is better. Did we come to Christ leaving our old values behind? Are we living on mission with these new values in mind? Or are we looking back? There's a line to heaven and a line to hell. Are we, Were we in the hell line and then we decided to put one foot in the heaven line saying, I want to get out of hell. But I still want to live like the world. Or did we were we on our way to hell, we got saved, and now we're living for Christ? Or were we one foot in, one foot out? Because here's the truth tonight. We cannot come to Christ and cherish our former ways. We cannot live on mission if we're going to cherish our former life, our former desires, our former way of doing life. Paul's statements here, they're repentance of his former life and attitudes. He turned from his past. Christ met him on the road, and he turned away from that life. He had a new life, a new direction, new values. These last few verses show three doctrines that every believer goes through. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. That when we got saved, we were justified in Christ. And as believers living on this life, there's ups and downs. There's good times and there's bad times. But we can trust that everything in that life makes us more like Christ. Because in one day, we'll take our last breath on this earth. And our first breath will be in heaven. And we've become glorified. We've become perfect. And we're all waiting for that day. But we keep moving day after day after day. Living this life. Living these new values. Verse 9, there's two parallels, gain Christ and found in him. The whole purpose, whole purpose of counting everything lost, your friends, family, anything in this life. Why would it be worth it to consider all that rubbish, to gain Christ, to be found in Christ, and to be known by Christ? Now verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Everything as lost in this life, that we that we may be spiritually wealthy. That if we had nothing on this earth but had eternal riches in heaven, worth it. Because we gained Christ. We were found in Christ. And then we could be known by Christ. And Paul saw people in two different ways. He either saw someone that was in Adam or he saw someone that was in Christ. Someone in Adam being lost someone that was in sin on their way to hell with no, no thought of glorifying God, no th- thought of how I could please him. When, when we're living on mission, we see people as one of these two, with our friends, our coworkers, our family members. They're either in Adam or they're in Christ. They're either on their way to be in eternity with God or on their way to eternity without God. And Paul, in this passage, renounces his self-righteousness and says being found in Christ, being clothed in God's righteousness is way better. And we as believers tonight ask ourselves, are we clothed in righteousness? Or are you here tonight where you don't know that for a fact? You don't know if that's true in your life. Have you taken that step to make Christ Jesus Lord over your life? To profess that he is Lord. To repent of your sins. To be dependent on God and not yourself. Righteousness that is brought by Christ. Faithfulness and then we having faith. The saving faith that we abandon all those things that we could credit ourselves righteous. All the good works that we can say that is not righteous enough to get me to heaven because the only thing that is is Christ. This message so powerful that it strikes the heart of legalism that we can't live good enough on this life to say, yeah, I'm good enough to go to heaven because the Bible speaks against this. The only way, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. message of legalism, they have to do certain things in order to be saved. They have to wear certain things. They have to do so much good. They have to be this type of person in order to follow Christ. Paul, the most blameless person under the law, yet he saw Christ on a Damascus Road and said, no, those are my old values. Christ is better. He's better than anything I could do that our only boast tonight, that our only confidence, that our only hope must be Christ. And Paul went on to say that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's the passion through this entire passage. That we must emulate those whose constant confidence and boast is Christ and nothing else because he's our only hope tonight. He's the only hope for you. He's the only hope for your friends, your family, your coworkers. He's their only hope to get them through anything. And I know tonight there's people in this room who are going through things or your family's going through something or your friends, and there seems to be no hope. But this book preaches the greatest hope. That Christ came, he died. He lived a perfect life lived a perfect life, died, rose again so that we could have hope. That he was forsaken from God so that we would never be forsaken by him. That he crying out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We will never have to utter that statement ever because he's always with us. There's always hope. And that's the passion, that I may know him that I may be found in him, that I may gain Christ. He's better. He's better